Well, we've been in a series on prayer, and we're going to pick that up again uh, today. Let me ask you, as you uh, find your place in God's Word and go to the book of James, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, Let me ask you this. How would your marriage be, those of you that are married in the house, how would your marriage be if you communicated to your spouse the same way you communicate to God? Think about the uh, amount of time you spend in prayer. What if you spent that amount of time in talking to your wife or your husband? What about the depth of the conversation? You know, um, what if uh, you walk right into the house and the first jump into the conversation is is a list of things you want or need? Uh, Or think about even this. What about the repetition of senseless words and phrases? What if you talked like that with your spouse? It would be weird, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just be weird? I think about how often I, I use, I, I say the Lord's name, I say Father, I say God, or whatever in prayer. I wonder what it would be like if I talked to my wife that way. It would be, it would be weird. She would tell me, stop it, that's weird. Um, well, we know, I use that illustration, we know that prayer is mainly about relationship with God. It's about knowing Him and being a part of what He's doing in the world. And yet, even though prayer is so relational, Our prayer lives still struggle, don't they? So if I ask you, how is your prayer life? That question is a little bit challenging to answer. It's it's not as easy to answer as if I said, well, how's your Bible reading? That seems to be a little more objective, a little more um, easy to answer. You could say, well, I read three chapters of Luke yesterday and. I've got 138 days consecutive in the, my Bible reading app, you know, or whatever. You might would have some kind of answer for me. But prayer seems a little foggier, a little harder to pin down. And it isn't measured in terms like a checklist of things that we just do and we call it done. No, prayer is really about, it is about intimacy. It's about relationship with God. And partnering with him in kingdom work. So we don't just pray. We've talked about this now for two weeks. This is week three. So I'm going to do a bit of a recap. We don't just pray to get stuff from God. Right. We pray to enjoy being with God. We pray to our father. It's personal. God has welcomed us into relationship with him as his children. We we come into a relationship as family through Jesus. And we can go to him with anything and everything. Nothing's off the table when it comes to talking with your father. So we learn God cares. He cares. Our father in heaven is how Jesus taught us to pray. So we think about that last bit. And we think he's in heaven and he's working here. He's working to redeem the lost. He's working to save. He's the Lord of the harvest. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Right. So we pray to join him in his mission to save people. He is the king overall. He is powerful. So now we see that the two things in comp, in, in conjunction, he He's personal and yet he's powerful. So whatever it is that you need to pray for, God can handle it. He cares and he can. Those are two big principles that we've talked about. 
So nothing is impossible for God. Let me ask you, church, have you let these these truths sink in? Over these past couple weeks, have, have you shifted in the way that you're thinking about prayer and the way that you're praying to God as a God who cares about what you have to bring and a God who can handle it? I hope so. I hope we're seeing some transformation in life. What we've said is that prayer is not just the way that we get something. It's how we know someone. God. So today what I want to do is just do some really practical down-to-earth teaching. Is that okay with everybody? Just some really down-to-earth teaching about prayer. And what I want to do is tackle some like everyday problems that we have with prayer. Would you want to know... If you were praying wrongly, I would, I'd want to know, like if I'm, if I'm doing something wrong, if I'm not praying like I'm supposed to pray, I'd want to know, like, help me, teach me how to pray better. Teach me what to say, what to do. I mean, this was at the heart, I think, of the disciples question to Jesus when they came to him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Obviously, he prayed differently from the way they prayed. And when he prayed, it was powerful. He, he experienced such intimacy with God and God did the things that he prayed for. And so the disciples were like, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Obviously, we don't know what we're doing. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm asking you to join me in a spirit of humility this morning just to say, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> will you teach us to pray? And we've spent a little bit of time in the model prayer. Jesus is really his teaching on to them on how to pray. But today we're going to be in the book of James. So if you found your place in the book of James, go ahead and stand to your feet as we honor God's word. Um, James is writing. I'll give you a little introduction of who this is and what he's writing about. James is writing to Christians and he's calling for action. Probably the most central verse in the book of James is James chapter two. I think it's verse 17, where he says this, faith without works is what? Yeah, Yeah, you know it, right? This is a verse we know. And so essentially what James is saying is if you believe what you say you believe, live it, right? And he's super practical. He's, this guy's down to earth. He deals with everyday living, stuff like, hey, if a nicely dressed man comes into your church and a shabby dressed man comes in behind him, don't treat one of them favorably. Treat them the same. Don't tell that guy to come sit up front and he's special while you put this guy in the corner. Don't do that. That's not the way the gospel impacts our hearts. He goes on. He says, if, if a brother or a sister is freezing or is hungry, don't just pat him on the back and say, be blessed. God bless you. Hope you're warm. No, like give him a coat. Give him some food. James is saying the gospel is it, it, it's on the earth. It meets, it meets us where we are. It's not just in the clouds. So let, let your faith produce action. James also deals with our speech. He says, um, with our tongues, we bless our God and we curse our brothers. This ought not be. So he's very practical. This is all about how what we believe affects how we live. And then all through the book, he gives little tidbit teachings on prayer that are very helpful for us. So I want us to really look at three of those today. These five chapters show us that life in 
Jesus' kingdom is an upside down kind of life. I love that. Life in the kingdom is an upside down kind of life where the lowly are lifted, where the hungry are fed, and where our speech both honors God and loves our neighbor. Kingdom people live out their faith and love for God in everyday stuff. And so scattered throughout his, his teaching some powerful truths on prayer. Would you look with me at James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The scripture says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now listen, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Flip over a few pages, James chapter 4. Just a couple of verses here. Obviously there were some disagreements among the church, he's, uh, among the believers he's writing to and In James 4, verse 2 and 3, he says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. I don't know if they're killing one another or if he's taking Jesus' teaching that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered. Whatever it is. Um, He says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have. Listen, why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. All right, go to chapter 5. I want us to read one more quick section and then we'll be seated and dig in, okay? James 5, look at verse 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18. James is teaching again about prayer here. He says, if... Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible, the teachings in the scripture. Lord, would you show us today how we can grow in prayer? We want to be a people of prayer. But just truthfully, Lord, I don't know that we know how to do this very well. We, we, we tend toward a lot of mistakes that you're pointing out to us in scripture today. So help us, Lord, to be humble, to receive the teaching from your word, to change. 
And Lord, we pray that we would be people whose prayers are effective and working and powerful. God, that you would use us to do great things for your good, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Let's just jump right in. Um, If you have one of the teaching guides, the first problem I want to mention is super simple right on the surface. The problem with, with our prayer a lot of times is this. We don't pray. You don't pray. That's problem number one. James said it this way. And this is the old King James Version. I think he said, you have not because you what? That's right. You have not because you ask not. So just really simply, your prayer is ineffective because you're not praying. Right? I'm not attacking you. I'm just speaking the truth. The reason we don't have the things that that we're wanting God to do, we're not seeing it happen. One big reason, one problem is we're not praying. We're not asking. So this week I, I put out a little poll on social media just to see what people would say. I said, you know, hey, why do people not pray? I, I didn't know I was going to get like 40 something comments, but um, lots of really great reasons. I'd encourage you to go on there and read some of those. I mean, people came up with some great reasons why we don't pray. Many of them were humble, personal confessions. Here's why I don't pray. You know, some of them are like, well, I guess people are afraid or they, they don't really know what to say or um, they don't feel worthy. Uh, one of them was there's so much to pray for. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, lots of Reasons why we don't pray. I want to give you two. These are not comprehensive, but I feel like most reasons would probably fit under these two reasons. Why we don't pray? The first one is this. You don't yet know God. So you won't ask from a God in whom you do not believe. So maybe your lack of prayer is actually an indicator of a lack of relationship, a lack of real saving faith. You don't come to God in prayer because he's not your father. So today I would just say this, if this is you, and I don't know if it is, but this, if this is you, you, you don't need a sermon on how to pray better. What you need is to be saved and adopted into the family of God. By grace, through faith in Jesus alone, you can be saved and forgiven of your sin and have a real relationship with God. Then you'll experience what real prayer is all about. But until then, you don't pray mainly because you don't know him. Secondly, maybe you don't pray because you don't yet Trust him. And probably around the room, this is maybe more of us. So I want to speak to this for a moment. Maybe you're still relying on your own strength to accomplish the task. One short word of admonition to us who don't yet trust God. Repent. Repent means a change of mind that results in a change of life. So to repent is to say and believe I'm wrong. 
God, you are trustworthy. I'm the one who's not. So rather than relying on myself, I repent. I I change my mind. I, I rely on you. I rest in you. I put my faith in you. So Christian today who is self-reliant. Repent. Christianity's aim, the aim of Christianity is not to raise up strong, independent people. The gospel raises up fully dependent children of an all-wise father. The imagery that was coming to my mind this week, I don't know why I'm thinking a lot lately of the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know why... The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is in my head, but I always thought it ridiculous that um, Aslan, the Lion King, would recruit children to lead his army. I remember thinking when, when those kids were given weapons, I was like, are you serious? Like, these are children. You're giving kids weapons here? What's going on here? But the spiritual parallel, I can't think of a better spiritual parallel. We are children that God has called into warfare. Now, how do we do that? Are we that valiant in our soldier, in our warrior-ness? Are we that strong and valiant and independent and able and capable to lead a great army? No, we're children. We're called into great, deep dependency on the Lion King. And that's how we go to battle. Our God will not share his role as the hero with you. He doesn't want you to be the hero. He wants to be the hero. And so he calls us to repent of our self-reliance and call out to him as father in prayer. So problem number one was you don't pray. So simply put, the solution to that is pray, like ask, go to God, right? All right, problem number two. Very practical teachings today. Problem number two. You doubt and are not desperate. I want to kind of hit two things in this one issue. You doubt and are not desperate. In James 1, uh, 6 and 7, basically he says, but ask him with no doubting, for the doubter shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Right? He said, Pray and pray for wisdom, ask for wisdom, and the God who hears you, he's generous, he will give. That's the promise. James 1.5, I love that promise. I pray for wisdom all the time. I need it desperately. So he promises to give, but then he says this caveat, but ask with no doubting, because if you doubt, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. So faith, ask in faith. The solution to this problem is to pray believing. Pray believing. Jesus gave some like ridiculously amazing teachings on this. In one place in the scriptures, he's talking to his disciples about asking in faith. And he actually turns to him and he says, if you if you ask in faith that that mountain be thrown into the sea, it'll be done for you. That's crazy. The point Jesus is making is that when you pray, believing in a God who can, nothing is impossible. I wonder if we believe, when we come to God in prayer, do we genuinely believe that He's going to do what we ask? Now, there's a lot of 
little issues here to deal with, but I'm going to keep it on the on the top. Here's what I want to say. Faith, believing. Faith is the full confidence in Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Faith is full confidence in Jesus. And it's a driving sense of desperate need. I want to give you a couple of scenarios in Scripture um, to, to sort of drive this point home. But when, when the friends brought their paralyzed friends to Jesus, and they brought him on the mat, they couldn't get through the crowds, they were trying to get to Jesus, but they couldn't get to him, they... They ended up climbing up on the roof of the house and tearing a hole in the roof and rigging up some kind of a pulley rope system or whatever and lowering this guy down right in front of Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus, when he saw their faith, he responded miraculously and healed the paralyzed man. Why do you think these four friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus? Why did they do that? Why do you think they ripped a hole in the roof and lowered him down to Jesus? Why do you think they did that? What did they believe that drove them to this kind of desperation and action? They believed. Jesus can fix it. Like they believed it fully. All we got to do, we just have to get him to Jesus, right? We need to begin thinking about prayer just like this. All we need to do is get them to Jesus. We've got to get them to Jesus. This is what we do when we pray intercession for others. We are literally taking them before Jesus and asking for Jesus's intervention. And it's this kind of faith, this kind of desperation that God honors. They knew Jesus is able. They knew he could deal with it. He could fix this. What do you think about another situation? The disciples are in the boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is snoozing peacefully in the boat. A big storm comes along, right? Crazy, scary storm. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're fighting to survive. They're screaming. They're afraid. They look down. What's Jesus doing? He's fast asleep. What did they shout to Jesus? Do you remember the question they asked him? It was a bit provocative. It was really a bit accusative. You remember what they asked Jesus once they finally stirred him awake? Don't you care? That we're perishing? That's the question. And this is huge. You see, these disciples knew that Jesus cared. They were blown away that he hadn't already intervened. Not only did they knew he cared, but they knew if anybody can fix this problem with the storm, it's Jesus. He can, whatever he's going to do, who knows what he's going to do, but he can rescue us. We know he can. Why is he not? Does he not care? Sometimes in the crashing waves of life, our confidence in a God who cares begins to waver. Brothers and sisters, our God cares. 
He's with you in your storm. And he wants us to come to him with full confidence in Christ that Jesus can and that he cares. Faith is in a person who is able and faith is passion in action. I want you to think about two words right here, two, two words in particular right here about praying in faith. These two words, passionate, persistent, passionate and persistent. Faith is passion in action. I love this reality because prayer allows anyone to be a part of the, the battle. What's happening in life. I think about a teenager can get on her knees and can begin crying out to God and is all of a sudden on the front lines of spiritual warfare. I think about an elderly person confined to their home, maybe even stuck in the bed, can't get out of the bed, but you know what? Can close their eyes and say, Father, and can be on the front lines in warfare. Faith is passion in action. Prayer is not passive. It's you jumping into what God is doing. And you can be a part of that no matter who you are, where you are in life. Faith is not a one and done kind of activity. You don't don't say, well, you know, I placed my faith in Jesus back on September the 5th. No. No, we keep on trusting. We, We keep on asking. We keep on seeking. We keep on knocking. We keep on praying. Don't stop. Don't stop believing, right? Um, You guys humor me. I love y'all so much. Thank you. Um, I really, I think about these friends who, who couldn't get through the crowd. They loved their friends so much. They cared so much. And they knew Jesus could meet the need. There was passion and persistence. They didn't hit that crowd and were like, eh, we'll come back on Tuesday. We're busy. No, they, they tried to push their way through. When they couldn't get through, somebody's like, let's go on the roof. I don't know whose idea that was. We get up on the roof. What do we do now? Let's just rip a hole. Okay, all right. Passion and persistence in prayer. It's a, it's a don't quit attitude. It's a persistent kind of faith. It's a whatever it takes kind of faith. It's a I don't care what people think kind of faith. They were coming to Jesus to ask in faith. This is passion in action. Passion doesn't give up easily. It's persistent. I wonder if you're praying for a a, a child who has not yet come to faith in Jesus. And they're in their 40s or 50s. Far from God. Don't quit praying. Don't stop. I wonder if you're praying for a parent, a father, a mother who didn't raise you to know Christ, but you've come to know Christ. And more than anything, you want your parent to know Jesus as well. I'll tell you a crazy story. Last Sunday, um, Walked out of this place, walking down the hall, saying hello to people and got grabbed on the arm and 
Mr. Bill grabbed me on the arm and said, Pastor, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So we pulled off to the side in the hallway. He said, uh, he said, the Lord has saved my life so many times. He told me a couple stories about a really bad car accident he'd been in. And, um, about a heart attack he'd had where he thought he was dead. He's 77 years old and he grabbed me in the hallway. He said, uh, God has saved my life so many times. But he's never saved my soul. And last Sunday in the hallway, Brother Bill gave his life to Jesus. Next Sunday, we get to baptize him. And I'm excited about that. Uh, It's never too late. Don't stop praying. Jesus taught Matthew 7, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. He's teaching us that to ask in faith means you don't give up too soon. I wonder if if we give up too soon. In Luke 18, he uses a parable of a widow woman who has been unjustly treated and she's so persistent she's nagging this judge who's an unrighteous judge he's just sort of pushed her to the side doesn't care about her story but she will not leave him alone he finally's like okay just to shut you up let me i'll hear your case and he gives justice to this woman and her story and jesus is pointing the miracle or in this parable is to say if an unjust judge is moved by the persistence of a widow how much more the righteous judge of all time would be moved by the persistence of his children. He ends that parable by asking this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And the point is to say that faith passionately persists. Are we praying for the kingdom with this kind of passion, with this kind of persistence? Church, let's pray with passion and persistence. Problem number three, I need to move quickly, but this one is really important. Sin hinders your prayers. Sin hinders your prayers. James 5.16, he says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Well, the question then is, well, how do, how do we get to be righteous? Because I know me. And some of you I know. We're not righteous people. How do we get to be righteous? Only in Christ. The righteous one took our place, took the place of the unrighteous. But in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, pray like this. Um, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says this, give us this day, today, this day, our daily bread. And forgive us, right? Our trespasses, our debts, our sins. Jesus saw the need for daily confession and repentance. Daily. This isn't something that you do one time and, and you're done with it. Well, I pray for forgiveness Back on that day, and now I'm good to go. 
Yeah, a relationship started on that day. But if you want a healthy relationship, then when you sin against God, tell Him. Confess it. Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to live that way. I want, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to live in obedience to you. Our sin hinders our prayer. The truth about sin is that it separates you from God. Unconfessed sin, even if you're a believer, will hinder your prayers. James 1, 6 and 7. I mean, if doubt renders a prayer ineffective, what do you think disobedience does? Listen to the scriptures. Let me read a bit from the Old Testament and a bit from the New Testament. I put some scriptures in your teaching guide. I'll just read these quickly. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. That's good news. Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Psalm 66, 18. The psalmist writes and says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 28, 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, like you reject and refuse to listen to God's law, even his prayer is an abomination. So not just that God doesn't hear it, he despises it. Hmm, that one's hard. First Peter 3, 7, New Testament. Really practical right here. First Peter 3. Even sin of dishonoring your spouse God takes seriously. And listen to what the words of Scripture say. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Listen to this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. That's really interesting. Peter's writing to believers. He's saying, treat your wife with honor and respect so that your prayers will not be hindered. The principle, the truth here from all the scripture is this. When we sin against God, our fellowship with him is hindered. And maybe a problem in your prayer life is that there's unconfessed sin. And God's like, hey, I want to deal with these issues in your life. Confess your sin and repent. Turn away from these things. Turn to me. Now, I've been teaching mainly to believers in the room to confess and to repent. But if you're not a Christian today, you too can be forgiven of sin. It's through the same person, Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned against God. And because of our sin, we're condemned. But Christ came to save, not to condemn he came to die for sin. He was, he was separated from the Father so that He could bring us to the Father. Jesus is the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can forgive you. So how can sinners like you and me be made righteous? If the Scripture says the prayers of a righteous person availeth much, how can we be made righteous? <laughs> Only with the substitute of Jesus Christ. Only by His blood covering our lives. 
And only through his forgiveness, we, we come to him, Lord, forgive me of my trespasses and sins. So the solution to this, this problem is ask for forgiveness. That requires some humility, right? It also requires some honesty about your own life. And it requires an honor that you honor him. I've sinned against you, Lord, and I'm sorry. Last problem. This one is really specific in James 4. You have wrong motives. I want to do, do this one quickly, but it's important. Wrong motives. The solution here is to ask for God's will and God's glory. James writes in James 4, 3, you, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, your own passions. So your motives are off is what he's saying. And you won't receive what you ask for. Think about this for just a moment. If uh, I'm going to use some hyperbole here, but if I said, Lord, I really want that carved image to bow down and sing to every morning. I've been looking at it in the window. I'd like to have it. I can't afford it. I really want to have this idol. Please, God, I want to have this. Is God obliged to answer that kind of prayer? Absolutely not. Now, listen, here's what I want to tell you. Because that was hyperbole. This is where it gets real. God will not give you something that you intend to replace him with. God knows our hearts. And this again is why Jesus teaches us to pray first. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, which means everything happens according to what you want. This is not just praying for God to do certain things. It's praying for God to recalibrate our hearts. Because our hearts have selfish motive. And we're recalibrating your kingdom, your will. We need that recalibration. In a moment of his greatest difficulty, Jesus even prayed in light of this reality. Jesus prayed, Lord, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Right. If there's another way this can go down. He's looking ahead to the cross and the suffering and torture he's about to go through. Lord, if there's another way this could go. Let's do that. Then he says this word, nevertheless. And this is where we yield our hearts, passions and desires to God's sovereign will. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew the path before him was going to be terrible, but he he brought his will in submission to the father's. So lastly here, God is sovereign. He's working all things according to his will. There's some things we just don't understand, honestly. I don't understand all things. This week, um, one of our twin boys has been really sick for about four days. Had a fever up to 103 and a half. Nine-month-old baby. It's just tough, you know. They're they're pitiful. Uh, It's hard to know how to help. Um, We've not slept a lot. (laughs) And 
Let me tell you, a lot of prayer. And like day three of that, I'm thinking, Lord, I want this baby well. But sometimes you don't understand why he doesn't answer. You know, I know you've been there. Like, and you're like, Lord, how could, how could it not be your will for this baby to be well? Like now, like let's fix this. I know you can. Do you not care? Let's be honest. Like those are honest questions. They're real questions. And this is where we bring our desires to God. And now we get back to that first two reasons we don't pray. One, you don't know him. Two, you don't yet trust him. And it's in the moments where I don't understand. Where I want it to go differently. That I have to say, nevertheless, I know you're God and I'm not. You're God and I'm not. And so I yield my will, my wants, my desires to your will. And I trust you that you're going to work all things. This is so hard. Like, I'm not making light of this. Many of you know much deeper than I do. But I want to finish our time with a reading of the scripture that Tucker read earlier. In Psalm 37, I want you to listen to this specific teaching. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. Church prayer is such a gift. We have access to talk to the Father of glory who knows best. He welcomes us in as his children. So let's go to him, full of faith, passionate, persistently praying and participating in what he's doing. Amen.